0: The lesson that God has burned in my heart is so important. It's been such a blessing to me as I studied it. It's pleasing the heart of God through worship. Pleasing the heart of God through worship. You might say, okay, that's not a fun lesson. I'd rather hear about raising my self-esteem or how to cope with stress or six ways to overcome anger, depression, and fear. And um, (laughs) six ways. It probably takes a hundred ways without the Lord. But I believe if you'll tune your heart to God's heart today, you'll find this to be one of the most important lessons I have ever shared with you. I have just been glorying in the lesson as I've studied it. They say that the person who gives the lesson usually ends up the most blessed of all, and that's just special from the Lord, and I know many times it's true. The deepest expression of love for God comes through the worshiping heart the deepest expression of love for God comes through the worshiping heart. If today you are willing to lay aside your needs and problems for this hour and enter the school of worship with me, I'm convinced you will emerge with new courage and strength and help. For through worship of God, no one is blessed more than the worshiper. As we worship him, marvelous, marvelous things happen to us. The stimulus for this lesson came from a little book that Carolyn reviewed at the retreats called Gyms from Tozier, and I would advise every one of you to get it. It's just a little pocketbook. I think it only costs about $1.95, and it has some real gems and jewels in it. The second message that I read by Tozer on this, in the book, it referred to a book of his called uh, The Missing, well, the, the chapter I read in this book was called The Missing Jewel of Worship. It's the second chapter in the book, The Missing Jewel of Worship. And this chapter contains excerpts from several of A.W. Tozer's books, especially a booklet entitled Worship, the missing jewel in the evangelical church, and it's really caught my eye. The missing jewel, a gem that we should have in the church, and it seems to be missing. Now, if there's anything of God that's missing in our church or in our lives, I want to know about it. I think it's not so much that the worship is especially missing in the church here at Calvary, but perhaps in our personal lives. I don't know how deep your worship life is. I read the chapter in this little book, and I began to think about worship of God and how little many Christians know about worship and how little many Christians actually do worship God. I wonder how many of us in the class today have ever taken a Bible, taken your Bible and sat down to do a single study on the worship of God, taken a notebook and a pen and your Bible and said, God, I just want to know how to worship you. I wonder if you've tried to find out how his heart longs to be satisfied with our adoration and love. How does a, how dull a love relationship can become if you never seek a meaningful way to express your love? You know, with your husbands, you marry gals, I think that every wife should, well, constantly, almost daily pray, God, show me a creative way to show him my love. I think we should. I wonder how many of you wives do that, just say, you know, it's one thing to say, I love you, Chuck. I mean, he's used to that. He's heard it all through the years. But when I go, mmm, I love your shoulders, wow, those broad shoulders, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see him going, kind of... <laughs> no, <Nah. laughs> but I mean, I think of things, I really think of things that will make him feel better about himself as a person. And just to tell him, just to let him know, you know, I miss him so much while he's gone. And I was thinking when he called the other day, I go, I love you. And he goes, oh, I love you, angel. And I, you know, and I just say, well, what can I say back? You know, what's comparable to angel for a guy? I don't know. Well, <laughs> and I... Um, You know, I want to think of creative ways. And when he gets home, I want some creative thing done that just says in a very special way, I love you. We have a habit of when we, uh, for instance, if I'm gone and he has to leave for some place, or he's gone and I have to leave, we leave notes for each other. And he leaves the zingiest notes you have ever read. They're always very short, but clever, clever, clever. I save them. They are so darling. Um, He's signing them, Captain, now. If you were here Sunday night, You know what he means? (laughs) If you weren't here Sunday night, ask somebody. It's funny. But you know, in our relationship with God, how many times... Have we sat down and prayed, God, make me creative in my worship of you. I want to worship you in a way that will so bless you and so satisfy your heart and so bring joy to you and so please you. But we don't take time to do it. Somebody said we go to God with our shopping lists. And isn't it true? We have all these things. God, we please do this and this and this and we take care of this? We become Christians. We learn to sing some choruses and we learn. Learned to they praise the Lord, and that's as much as a lot of people learn about worship. We never learn to truly worship Him in His beauty and His wonder. Now, some Christians don't care a whit about worship, and I looked up the word whit. It had come to my mind, and I thought, what does whit mean? It means the smallest particle possible. And some people don't care a whit about worship for God, they ask God for help in trouble and to watch over them when they're asleep and that's it and we all know christians like that Uh, some christians really don't care a single bit about worshiping god and you know what a cold indifferent bride a woman would be who didn't care anything about adoring her husband or telling him how much she loved him or how marvelous he was christians have lots of prayer meetings but not many meetings just to worship have you ever gone to a meeting just to worship jesus the whole time no intercession no petitions no supplications just worship him we used to have afterglows all the time at calvary especially when we were in the little chapel on sunflower and more especially when we were in the church over on church street and they were marvelous We would sit there and we would praise God and we'd sing to Him, and one person would speak out praise and thanksgiving, another one would speak out love. For God, another one would just tell him how marvelous he was and how much they uh, uh, blessed his name and they exalted him, and then would sing some more. And it would end, end up that we would be so ministered to by the Holy Spirit as we sat and just ministered unto him. I encourage you, women, to call a few friends together and say, hey, like Elizabeth and Mary, let's get together and let's just worship the Lord together remember when elizabeth and mary got together they magnified god and there isn't one request in that magnificat. it's all worship and praise of god i am amazed over and over again at how well mary must have known the psalms to be able to worship god as she did the beautiful beautiful worship there's a story told about two angels who came to earth with great baskets. One was to collect the prayers of people and the other to collect the praises. The basket of prayers was overflowing and requests just piled very high. The basket of worship and praise was scantily filled. If you were sending baskets up to the Lord today with prayer requests and praise, would there be an overbalance of requests in relationship to the prayer? I want you to think about it. Yet worship is one of the most important products of our life This to me is the sign of real depth in a person When she moves herself out of the way in whatever circumstances and she praises God She worships him wherever she is She just all of a sudden lifts up hands and arms and thoughts and hearts full of worship It isn't always in singing or speaking aloud, but the heart and the thoughts her mind is going, oh, God, I love you. I just worship you. I sit at your feet today just to adore you and admire you. I sincerely believe that any man, woman, boy, or girl who really knows how to worship God and does worship him becomes the strongest Christian possible. When you learn how to really worship God, and we are in the school of worship this morning, Worship is recognition of an acknowledgement of God as God and and of his nature, attributes, ways, and claims. And it's a recognition and acknowledgement of the lordship of Jesus Christ, an expression of that recognition and acknowledgement in thought, words, song, or deed. Remember the words recognition and acknowledgement, and you'll have the whole definition pretty well. And expression. Remember, recognition, acknowledgement, and expression if you're taking notes. Worship is the loving response. You might write down loving response of man to the living God who has made himself known to men in his words and works. Write worship embodies a right concept of God now I'm going to hit this very very hard this morning and I have asked the Holy Spirit to make this as clear as possible I think it's Colossians 4 4 that I pray over no don't write this down this is just my prayer to God on this and that is that I always might make it manifestly clear as I ought. This is so important. If you have a right concept of God, your whole Christian life will be on the right path. If you have a faulty concept of God, you are going to absolutely collapse in disaster. I see it I would say four or five or eight or ten times a week. I spend more hours on the phone with people who have a faulty concept of God than I do for any other thing. I think every sin in the believer's life comes through a faulty concept of God. We go back to the garden again. What did Satan try to do with Eve and to Eve? but plant a faulty concept of God in Eve's mind, and he did. He caused her to doubt the goodness of God. I go over this and over it and over it in class because I deal with it so much with women. It is uncanny the crazy ideas people get about God. Someone has said, The most revealing thing about a church is her concept of God. I think the most revealing thing about a Christian is her concept of God. And victory in trials, power in prayer, and godly living are all dependent on your idea of who God is and what He's like. And I challenge every one of you in the room to sit down with your notebook and a piece of paper and write out who you think God is and what you think he's like. You simply must do it. You cannot go on any longer as kindergarten Christians. Kindergarten's over. We're out of kindergarten. We're growing up in him. It's time we got into first, second, third, fifth, tenth grade and grew up as Christians this morning. You can get by with just praise the Lord and singing a few choruses and letting your mind wander but you're not worshipping God when you do it. And this morning we are in school and I am asking you as children of the living God sit down and find out how much you know about God you might be surprised at how much you know and you might be surprised at how little you know and you might be surprised at how faulty your concept is now most false doctrines in the Christian faith come because people Do not have a right knowledge of God. I'm going to really, I hope nobody gets angry with me or gets offended, but Chuck would back me in this 100%. You could not possibly be in prosperity doctrine if your concept of God was right. Now, if you're in prosperity doctrine, weigh it. Don't hate me. Don't get angry with me. Please love me in Jesus. But find out what your concept of God is. I have been dealing with women who have been in prosperity doctrine and have had horrible tragedies occur in their life. And you know they've almost lost their faith. Time after time after time, when that person they believed was going to be healed and live, and that person died, they began to be angry with God and doubt God, and their whole faith began to go down the tube. Now, there's truth in believing God, and there's truth in having faith. And I'm here today to state to you that God can raise anybody from the dead. God can do anything. He can heal anybody. He can do anything. God is not limited in any way, shape, or form. But I want you to remember this word. God is sovereign. And the prosperity doctrine does not recognize the sovereignty of God. God is the potter and you are the clay. And if you are his child and walking in the lordship of Jesus Christ, he has the right to do with your life whatever you give him permission to do. And I want you to praise the Lord for the amen. This is truth. And I'm telling you to warn you and to save you from going into a doctrine where Chuck said, Oh, if I could get hold of these men that teach this and make them stand with me when I have to face the person who's gone through the tragedy. You don't know what it's like, a lot of you, to have somebody come to you and say, I don't believe in God anymore. I believed he was even going to raise him from the dead, and he didn't. Forget it. It's a lot of hogwash. I've never had more faith. I've never had more confidence. You see, the one thing they did not recognize was God's sovereignty and his right to your life to do whatever he wants. They had a faulty concept of God. As we worship God, we begin to know him, we begin to know his characteristics. We begin to know his attributes. We begin to know him in his wisdom and his goodness and his love and his justice. I find the people who are most victorious in trials are the people who really know God and know how to worship God. They are the ones who say in deep trials, they worship God, first of all. God I know that you're good, and anything that comes into my life, you've allowed, and I accept it, and I'll grow by it. They don't say, I am so angry with God. Do you know that statement absolutely shakes me to my toes? Joy Dawson was so strong at women's retreat, and I've shared it before, but it bears repetition. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. She said, How utterly absurd and arrogant. That a man should be angry with God in whom there's no iniquity, no sin whatsoever, who is all love and all goodness. How can we be angry? You can be, why aren't you angry with the devil? I have never understood a woman who said, I'm angry with God. I know why she says it, but I've never understood her lack of the fear of God and reverence for my Holy Father in heaven. That she would, as this puny little ant on earth, shake her fist in the face of my God, who is even unapproachable. He's so... You know, so magnificent and so everything, and she says, "I'm angry with God." That's like one of my pipsqueak little grandkids looking at their mamas when she's correcting them for something and saying, "I'm so angry with you." You know, who is she to be angry with, Mom? Uh, and that's that's just such a tiny little example. And we do get angry with mo- angry with moms and dads because moms and dads are not perfect. Moms and dads aren't sinless, but our God is sinless and He's love and He's just and He's honest and He's fair and he's truth and his righteousness and he always does what's best for you and I pray before God today that if you're going to be angry it's anger with the devil who brought all the sin on us in the first place or anger you can even be angry with people if that's your heart's desire but don't be angry with my God please love him honor him magnify him exalt him but don't be angry with him why does God want us to worship him? He created angels to worship him. The seraphims and cherubims are flying all over every place, worshiping and saying holy, and they're behind the throne of God with their wings spread. And it's magnificent as you read about it in the word, and it's glorious to behold as you read about this in Revelations and then Ezekiel. But we worship him, first of all, Because he seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth in 1st John 4 21 to 24 and I'm going to read it out of living Bible You may turn if you like There was a woman of Samaria she went to a well to draw water one day and she met Jesus and She talked to him for a while and he told her something about living water and once she had it she'd never thirst again and he told her some things about her past life and what kind of a person she really was, John 4:21. <coughs> and then, as Jesus talked to her, she began to ask him something about worship. And she said, um, "Sir, the woman said, "You must be a prophet, but say." Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, and this is about us today the time is coming when we will no longer be concerned. About whether to worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. Now, you see, in Mount Gerizim, the Samaritans worshiped on that mountain. They had a great ritual. They slew a lamb. They went through all kinds of things. And they still do the very same thing today. They still worship on Mount Gerizim and they still slay a lamb. They still go through all the ritual. The Samaritans do. The Jews always went to Jerusalem to the temple to worship and to do their sacrificing. And as a woman drew closer to Jesus, it is so interesting to me that the one thing she began to really inquire about is, where do we worship? And Jesus replied, the time is coming when we will no longer be concerned about where to worship the Father, for it's not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. It's not where we worship, but how we worship. Is our worship spiritual and real? Do we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is spirit, and we must have his help to worship him as we should. In the King James Bible, in that same portion of scripture, it says that God, it it says uh, in verse 24, we'll start verse 23, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Why should we worship God? For the father seeketh such to worship him God wants people who will worship him in spirit and in truth Why should we worship God? Because he seeks us to worship him And to worship him in spirit and in truth It is God's desire that we worship him Not as the angels who were created just to worship him And not because we're forced to But because we choose to, he gave us a free will. We do not have to worship God. You don't ever have to worship him. But he seeks such as will. And to think that God would seek my worship just blesses me so much this morning. It makes me want to stop right now and just go, oh, you know, doesn't it you? Just spend moments and just say, oh, I love, well, let's do. I was thinking, I wish we had a lot more time. For this, I was just saying the thoughts were going through my mind. Isn't he beautiful? Beautiful, isn't he? Son of God. I just, oh, and my heart just lifts, is lifted up to the beauty of Jesus as we think of worshiping him and we begin to worship him. We too, another reason why we worship God is we too were created to worship him. In the most primitive tribes and the most sophisticated cultures, we find an innate desire to worship something. This desire for worship was programmed in our being by God. You know, the thing about this, and even the atheists worship, they worship their intellect. They really do. They're wiser than, you know, there is no God. I'm too smart to believe in a God. It's a form of worship. Everybody worships something. It's just the way we were created. We were created to worship. And we have the choice of worshiping God, our living God, or other gods. In the tabernacle, in setting up the order of service in the tabernacle and in the temple in Old Testament times, and even in the New Testament, God had singers and praisers appointed to praise and worship Him all day and all night. And that is all they did. What do you think it would be like to be able to go to the church for two hours or four hours and just sing and praise God, go home and rest a while and have something to eat and come back and sing and praise God, and that's all you had to do in life? Wouldn't that be marvelous? I mean, I think, oh, Lord, now why didn't you have me born then? But then I don't know that I would have liked the wilderness all that much. I might have been one of those complainers, and then look where I'd be. (laughs) Tozer said man was made to worship God he can worship him in a manner no other creature can Some years ago there was a song that they used to sing a lot in churches and it always blessed me I don't think it was theologically all that correct But it did express a truth about the angels who were created to uh, praise God and those of us who were Programmed by God to worship. And the chorus of it goes, Holy, 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 is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption story, they will fold their wings, for angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. How do you like that? They were created to praise God, but they could never feel the joy. That our salvation brings. Oh, Christians, doesn't that make you want to worship Him just for the cross of Calvary? The joy that brings into our hearts, and how I praise Him over and over and over for this. When we get to heaven, I would not be at all surprised that God programmed us to worship Him. not because of his great need for our worship, but because of our great need to worship. We need to get out of our selfish, self-centered self and see beyond our limited resources and horizons and behold the power and glory of God and his ability. Through worship, we realize who God is and who we are, and our problems fall into proper perspective. I'm going to use that comparison again. We see ourselves as an ant in comparison to the sun. Or a grain of sand in comparison to the sun. So nothing. As we think of the power of the sun to send light and heat and warmth. And, and cause all things to grow upon the earth. And we realize we can't do any of those things. How insignificant we feel. And yet God... Is millions and millions and millions and millions of times more than the Sun is How does worship work in making our problems get in the right proportion? Okay, I awaken in the morning, and I'm burdened down with an impossible situation, and I can't see any solution Instead of rushing into intercession. I begin to worship And I say something like this and this works. I do it and it works God, you're all-powerful. Now, this is because I know things about God, and I know God's all-powerful. Omnipotent, we call it. He's all-powerful. And you spoke, and the world came into being. And I start thinking about it. And all the oceans came into being just at the Word of God. Light became light. God spoke, and light was. He just spoke. I can't fathom it. My mind is too finite to even be able to take it in. So I think, well, I'll bring it down smaller. And I think about the Pacific Ocean. And then I think about how little I know about the Pacific. (laughs) I'll never see the whole Pacific Ocean in my lifetime. And God spoke, and there were how many oceans brought into existence? How many seas? And not only that, he spoke, and the dry land was brought into being. Mountains, hills, depths, sky, stars, sun, moon, planets. He spoke. He's powerful enough to do that. Hmm. My problem starts to get a little bit smaller, doesn't it? Okay. Father, you are righteous and you're holy. Your word tells me you hate sin, you hate murder, you hate evil dealings, you hate lying, you hate deceit. And you defend your children and you shelter them and you plenteously reward the evildoer. You're righteous and just in all your ways. Hmm. Hmm. And he's meeting out that righteousness. You mean, Lord, that that person that did that is not going to get by with it? You mean you're going to take care of it? Sure, he's righteous. It's part of his character. He's a righteous God. He's faithful. I know him to be faithful. Oh, God, in your faithfulness today, you will work in my behalf. And my problem gets smaller and smaller and smaller you see what worship does for you it puts your problem in right proportion to God's power and ability to intervene we need to learn to worship not only for his benefit but for our own benefit okay in the school of worship ways to learn to worship And this is homework of the hardest kind. And I want you to do it. There's a statement. What good does it do for me to tell you I love you if it isn't the way, let's see, I turned it around. What good does it do to tell me you love me if it isn't the way I need to hear it? Got it? What good is it for me to tell you I love you if it isn't the way you need to hear it? Now, this is where an awful lot of marriages get in great, great trouble. He says to her, She says, Why don't you ever tell me I love you? And he says, I bring home a paycheck every week. And that's his way of saying, I love you, but it's not the way she needs to hear it. Now, please don't go home and use this on your husband. That is not the point of this lesson. The point of this lesson is learning to worship God. And my point in this illustration is what good does it do to worship God if it is not the way God needs to have you worship him? And that is why we have to study and learn how God wants us to worship him, and he sets forth in his word how he wants us to worship him. So we must begin to study. I heard uh, John Lloyd Ogilvie, or Lloyd John Ogilvie, how is it, the pastor of Hollywood Presbyterian Church on TV some weeks ago, and he said, my wife's favorite color is purple. And he said, what if one day I brought her home an orange dress? and she goes but you know my favorite color is purple but i brought this orange dress to tell you i love you now if she hates orange uh, uh, i mean if she hates orange an orange dress is not going to say i love you to her is it and he was saying, in our worship of God, we say, God, I want to worship you on my terms and the way I want to do it, and once in a while I want to go, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and that's that, and I'll sing, you know, and I'll dance on my way, and that's enough of that worship. And we go on to the next thing. That isn't true worship, and it isn't kind of worship God wants. And remember, he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, learning to worship God. Step one, and I say this with everything I teach you in the class, this is always step one. The first step is going to the Lord in prayer and saying, Lord, teach me how to worship you. Riona, at the retreat, used the phrase several times, make me a woman of mercy. Make me a woman of Um, I can't remember the first. Well, make me a woman of prayer. Make me this kind of woman. I want you to pray that God will make you women of worship. If you're willing this morning to become a woman of worship, will you write it down in your notes? Lord, or say it in your mind if you don't have a pen and paper. Lord, make me a woman of worship. I pray that every woman in this this, uh, room this morning will have that desire to be made a woman of worship. I think worship's way, way, way beyond anything else we can do spiritually. Okay, secondly, and this is where the rough stuff comes in. Take your Bible, a notebook, and a pen. Find a quiet corner someplace. Turn to your concordance in your Bible. If you do not have a concordance in the back of your Bible, you can get a paperback crudence concordance, C-R-U-D-E-N-S. Prudence concordance. And use it. Turn in your concordance to the word worship. And look up every scriptural reference you can find on worship. Then I want you to turn to the word praise. And then I want you to turn to the word thanksgiving. This is not going to be done in a day. This is probably going to take a year or two. It will. If you do it right, it's going to take time. But, ooh, you're going to be blessed. And you're going to learn to be women of worship. Okay, now some of the scriptures on worship will be applicable to your worship life. Some of them won't. Some will be talking about somebody worshiping Baal. Something will be talking, but you'll learn bad things about worship as well as good things about worship. You'll learn some things about how not to worship. You'll learn the relationship of obedience and worship. And how it God requires and desires in this. All right. Write out the scriptures that teach you how to worship. Write out the scriptures that teach you how to worship. Take your time. Let the Holy Spirit imprint the scriptures on your heart. Okay. Next step. As you look up the scriptures. a. Especially especially in the psalms You'll see all sorts of instructions or admonitions on worship and praise and Turn to a different place in your notebook have several areas in your notebook and turn to a different place and put methods of worship And we're going to go through a tiny bit of that for a moment this morning and show you what I mean Turn to Psalm 95, please I had an awfully hard time choosing a psalm. I wanted to use them all. I could just, oh, I got so, you know, I love the psalms. This one just happens to be one that illustrates what I want to say. Psalm 95. (coughs) Pardon me. Okay. Let's read that first psalm together. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Okay, that's it. <laughs> you thought we were going to read the whole thumb. Mm, I'd love to. But then you'd be mad at me because I'd go over time. Um, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. What's the first thing we learn about worship? There are ways to worship. Sing, sing unto the Lord. All right, what's the second way? Make a joyful noise. Now, I don't know if that's for people who can't sing. So <laughs> God is giving them a good out in there to make a joyful noise. And I have sat in church by monotones who really couldn't sing. Men quite often have that problem. And, um, you know, their heart was so precious in singing unto the Lord that I was blessed by the fact that they were a monotone and had the courage to sing out as they did. And I saw that. Hearts delight in making a joyful noise unto the rock of their salvation Okay, oh come let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation verse six. Oh come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker What do we learn about how to worship there? Bow down, bow down. you know why? Bowing down is a si- a sign of what? humility you bet humility it's an acknowledgement that this person on the throne is higher than you is more than you is your ruler is your god and what else do we learn not just bow down but what else Kneel. I think of kneeling and bowing down as two different things. I think of bowing down with my face almost on the ground, you know, just uh, and, and sometimes in worship, when that spirit of worship really just comes over you and you see your utter nothingness in relationship to the holiness of God, there is that desire sometimes to just put your forehead on the floor if you're uh, limber enough. And, and, you know, the yogis do it. And it's their form of worship to their false gods, but Christians are so inhibited in worship. I don't want to bow down. I don't want. Oh, that's kind of weird, Kay. That's weird stuff. David wasn't considered very weird, was he? And he said, "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker." We learned two more things about worship. Now, there's something else in these two verses that I want you to record as you're doing this, and that is. Anything that tells you something about God or about Jesus? This is where faulty concepts of God will drop off and truth will replace replace them You'll begin to really know who God is and his power, splendor, majesty, justice and truth and everything else Keep your notebook with you in church. When Chuck tells you something about God, write it down. When you learn something about worship, write it down. Start recording these things because, you see, you're not just hearing, but you're also visualizing and in writing. You're helping to stamp these things on the brain. And do you know the more you use your brain, the older you get, the better repair your brain stays in? It's a known fact. Let's start using our brains. Don't say, oh, it's too hard to memorize now. When I was in sixth grade, I could memorize anything. I'm 36 or I'm 52 or I'm 98, and I can't memorize anything. One of Chuck's best friends was named Daddy Atkinson, and at 92, he took up the study of Greek, and he did very well. Now you have no excuse. You are utterly without excuse all right the second thing I want you to record as you go through the psalms or the third thing I want you to record the methods. I remember is Anything that tells you something about God or about Jesus. I told you that a moment ago. All right What did we learn in the first verse about God? He's what he's the rock of our salvation Visualize that this morning. I love that rock at the conference center you know that great big rock that's near the volleyball court? When we first saw the conference center, I just stood and I said, Oh, Chuck, the rock of ages. Jesus is our rock, the rock of our salvation. And God, you know, he, he really has a frantic time sometimes. <laughs> but he agreed. It was, it's a beautiful rock, and I never pass it, I don't believe. But what I'm reminded, God is the rock of my salvation. What does a rock represent to you? Strength, stability. Could you move that rock? Yeah, you can't move that rock. God is like that rock. Strong, stable, immovable. Ooh, I love that. He's the rock of our salvation. What did you learn in verse um, 6 about him? Okay, he's our maker. He's our creator. Ooh, how the evolutionists are fighting that. I got a pro-family magazine the other day. I was so enraged as I read this article that the humanists are putting out and they say, they take the word God and they put it not capitalized and they say, there are many gods, there have always been gods, they are myths, people have believed in gods, all blah, 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 doing away with any belief in a supernatural being at all. You should affirm to God over and over and over again, you are my maker. You are my creator. You are God. And I don't care if the heathens rage and the pagans uh, discount this. I acknowledge you as God, my creator. And I think we should say to the heathen world, God is my creator. And believe it or not, heathen, he created you. Don't say it like that. (laughs) that isn't very kind or loving okay record anything in verse 3 we learn some more about God what do we learn about God there he's a great God when you worship him and you're down before him you're bowed down or you're kneeling or you're driving or whatever you're doing you're going are you saying oh God you are so marvelous you are the rock of my salvation you are a great God You are a king above all gods. You are my creator. When you start doing that, you're beginning to go to college in the school of worship. You're out of kindergarten. You're out of preschool. You're beginning to really enter to that place of deep worship of God. You're beginning to recognize who he is and acknowledge him for who he is and what he is and what he is in your life. Okay, verse 4, in the Living Bible, it says, He controls the formation of the depths of the earth. In verse 4 in King James, it says, In his hand are the deep places of the earth. I was meditating on this, and I was thinking, Where do diamonds come from? Where does gold come from? Where does silver come from? Copper. They come, most of it comes from mines. And where are mines? In the depths of the earth. He controls the formation of the depths of the earth. He causes all these pressures that produce the diamonds. God does that. Have you ever praised him for that? You said, oh, God, I praise you because you control the formation of the earth. You produce diamonds. Wow, most women kind of like diamonds a little bit, don't they? And, and like gold, it's pretty. And God controlled the formation of the earth. You see what I mean by worship? It isn't just a chorus and a praise the Lord. It's knowing God and learning to really worship Him. He controls the formation of the depths of the earth. And the mightiest mountains, all are His. Every time you see a mountain, if you see Saddleback out here, if you see Mount Baldy over there, when you see a mountain, do you say, Oh, I worship you, God. Those mountains are yours. You created those mountains. Oh, praise you. I exalt you. I bless your name. Verse 5, we learn some more about God. The sea is his. It's not Jacques Cousteau. The sea <laughs> is God's. The sea is his. Ooh, and just think of all the treasures Jacques Cousteau, uh, Jacques Cousteau has brought out of the sea. beautiful. Oh, he finds such treasures, and I'm not talking about uh, gold doubloons or anything like that, marvelous treasures, all kinds of life in the sea, but the sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, how David could praise God and how I want to praise him like this and how I want you to praise him like this. Why? Because God had these psalms written that you might learn how to worship him and please his heart in your worship. Oh, let your mind and your heart be open today to worship him as he would have you worship. As you think about the sea being his and he made it, you need to stop and meditate again, the might and power. If he can do that, is he sufficient for your situation today? If he can make the seas and the mountains, is he enough to enter into your circumstances? I love that phrase that Chuck used, and I think I might have mentioned a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning when he used uh, Psalm 37 5 commit your way into the Lord trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass and that he shall bring it to pass and you wives that are in a loveless marriage think about this the word is Asa A-S-A which is the uh, word used in the beginning God created he made something out of nothing he didn't take matter and produce something he made, created something out of nothing and God can create something in your home. If there is no love left between you at all, there's nothing. Do you know that God is powerful enough to take nothing and create love? He can do it. Listen to me today. He delights in doing it. He wants to do it. Just marvel and think about it and meditate about what He is and who He is. Chapter 96, verse 9. Oh worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness another way to worship the Lord in the living Bible You know what it says? It says worship the Lord with the beauty of holy lives Did you know that living a holy life is a form of worship to God? It is do you know that living a sinful life is not worshiping God at all? But just by living a holy life You can worship God. Worship the Lord with the beauty of holy lives. That may be a form of worship you'd not thought of before. 96.12 in the Living Bible. Praise Him for the growing fields, for they display His greatness. When you see a wheat field, do you praise Him for it? They display His greatness. Oh, God, you are so great. You made the seed or the kernel of wheat that's put into the ground and produces the wheat that makes our bread. Oh, I praise you for your greatness in this. Psalm 98, verses 5 and 6 tell about praising God with instruments, with the harp, the trumpets, and the cornets. A friend of mine plays the piano, and she was telling me one day that somebody called her up, and they asked her to take on this enormous Christian project. And she said she didn't want to do it, but she knew the need was so great that God prompted her heart to say yes. Yes. So she did and after she hung up she went into just fear she thought i can't do that i can't make all those calls i can't get all those people i can't do all that stuff and the lord seemed to direct her to just go sit down at her piano and start worshiping him and she began to worship and she began to play and she said joy began to dwell up well up in her heart and she said, all of a sudden, the thing didn't seem so bad after all, and peace came over, and, and just this wonder of God, and all of a sudden, God gave her a creative way to deal with the whole thing. He showed her, call this person, this person, this person, have them each go, da 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 And she said the whole plan was laid out as she worshipped God worship him with instruments you know i think if i didn't play the piano i'd get a triangle or something i'm lucky to have a lot of grandkids around and they have all kinds of funny little instruments you know and i can clap the cymbals and nobody thinks i'm too strange and um they have a little tambourine i have a tambourine that um a uh, Hippie girl gave me some years ago, and I just absolutely love it uh, The kids used to bring them to church here and play while we were singing, and I thought that was super neat Playing God, uh, praising God with their tambourines And I have mine at home, and nobody likes to hear it but me And so I have to do it when nobody else is home, but I'm making a joyful noise into the Lord, and he understands Okay, Psalm 63, 4 and 5 My lips will bless thee Psalm 63, verses 4 and 5. Thus will I uh, let's see, because we'll go back to verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, what shall praise thee? Okay, that's spoken praise. Thus will I bless thee while I live. And now here comes another way of worshiping God. And what is it? Huh? Oh, we don't like to do that very well, do we? Somebody might see us and we might look strange and you know, and I you know, I really don't want to do that. I will lift up my hands in thy name. If you don't want to do it in the church, will you do it in your home? Just stretch out your hands. It's a sign of surrender to God. David said, I'll lift up my hands in your name. It's beautiful. It's a way of praising God. When I go to a football game, and I, you know, I hate to go. I'm there. I love it. And once they start to make a touchdown, if our team does, I'm up and I'm rah rah ray. You know, all this kind of stuff. Do you ever do that? Does anything ever happen? Maybe you're not all sanguines like me. But I mean, most of us. I've seen my little phlegmatic Jan get excited. and Her arms go up in the air, and the excitement, and the joy, and the wonder of God. Sometimes when I can see David dancing before the Lord, now I don't approve of dancing in church, and neither does Chuck. And please don't let me get you into anything that gets me in trouble. But we don't go for that in Calvary. But I know that if the armies of the Lord were pitted against the armies of Satan, and the armies of the Lord were victorious, as David was when the ark of the uh, uh, covenant, or the ark of the Lord was brought back, I know Chuck Smith would probably be leading the pack, jumping up and down in praise and thanksgiving and dancing to Jesus. Don't you and dancing to the lord and so would we and i grabbed my tambourine and i'd be (laughs) praising the lord because it is a way when that excitement when the miracles come don't be afraid to lift your arms and praise him if you would lift your you boy most of us go what am i gonna do you know when calamity strikes don't you we're not afraid to lift our arms in okay you just don't know how awful it is oh lift your arms and praise the lord what you know (laughs) you just don't want to but david said i will lift up my hands in thy name another way of worshiping lifting up our hands in his name we're almost through on and on so much to learn about him and how to worship as i said you don't do it in a day you really do it in a lifetime i'm still learning about worship and i'm still discovering new things there's one example in the new testament when i want to share very quickly with you don't turn to this please but in Luke 7:38 a woman worshiped by standing at Jesus feet and weeping and wiping his feet with her tears she washed his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair she kissed his feet and she anointed them with ointment and Jesus spoke of it as an act of love or worship because her sins had been forgiven And you know what he said there about worship and love? He that hath been forgiven much loveth much. And if you've been forgiven a lot by Jesus Christ, you'll love him an awful lot. Now there's not a woman in this room who knows Jesus that hasn't been forgiven a lot. When you see yourself and you measure yourself to God's holiness, how we need mercy and forgiveness, every one of us. And if you love him a lot, you're going to worship him a lot. She that's been forgiven much, loveth much. And she loved Jesus so much. She must have felt a little bit embarrassed. I don't know. Sometimes love covers embarrassment, doesn't? You can love so much that you just really don't care what people think about you when you worship him. How precious to love Him like that. Three necessary elements in worship, and I'm going to skip through these very quickly. There must be humility. There must be submission. And there must be committal. Now, you can praise and you can give thanksgiving, but unless these three elements are a part of it, it's not worship. It's simply praise and thanksgiving. Worship is including these three. First of all, humility signifies God's greatness and your nothingness. Submission signifies his lordship over you. And committal signifies his leadership. You recognize and acknowledge his greatness, his lordship, and his leadership. I wanted to talk to you this morning about the wonders of worship and the discovery of God through the wonders of worship, but it's a little late, and I'm afraid I better not. But, oh, I have good things. I'll save them for next June or whenever I speak to you again. But there's a marvel in the worship. I'll give you four things that Tozier said that happened in worship really fast. First of all, an admiration appreciation of the excellency of God is developed we become awestruck A respect is born in us we become awestruck in the presence remember we come boldly to the throne of God but never brashly that's very important we become we come boldly but not brashly we are fascinated with God we're captivated and charmed and entranced with who God is Uh, Tozer tells about thinking about um, the children of Israel when they came out of the wilderness and how God had them set up in a diamond shape and the Levites in a certain place and each of the 12 tribes in a certain place in this great fire in the middle of the camp. And he said he began to visualize it in his mind over and over again. And all of a sudden he said, God, you're a geometrician. You're an artist. He became so totally fascinated with God just in thinking of the way God had set up the camp for the children of Israel. I want you to do that. I was reading in Song of Solomon Living Bible the other day where I think it was the Shulamite woman said about Solomon, He captures my heart. We can't wait to say this to Chuck. (laughs) You capture my heart. Can you say it to the Lord? You capture my heart, Lord. What a beautiful expression! The wonder of you is so marvelous, and the astonishment, and then there's admiration. Man is better qualified to appreciate God than any other creature, because he was made in God's image, and is the only creature who was. His a- this admiration and grows and grows in worship, until it fills the heart with wonder and delight. In our astonished reverence, we confess. Thy uncreated loveliness. I love that. In closing this morning, I want to talk to you just for one quick minute about a woman who really knew how to worship God, and her name was Mom Smith. On November 13, 1958, Chuck and the children and I and Mom Smith all went out to Orange County Airport. And we went out about 8 o'clock, and the kids were jumping up and down, and they were all excited because their Grandpa Smith was coming in on a plane with their Uncle Bill, and Uncle Bill was piloting the plane, and, oh, the excitement was so great. And we stayed from 8 o'clock till 10.30. We finally decided we'd better come home. They were flying in from San Diego. They'd flown from Victorville and missed the radar beam here and had gone on down to San Diego and called and said they'd be up sometime around 8 o'clock. 10 30 mom went to our, her house and we went home to our house and none of us slept all night about eight o'clock in the morning chuck was able to get in touch with the civil aeronautics patrol and they called us back in a few minutes yes we found a plane of that number and there are two bodies and it was chuck's dad and his brother and chuck said i'm going to mom right now and he went over to mom smith's house and he walked in the door and he said mom Dad and Bill have gone to be with Jesus. She looked at him. She said, oh, son, I know. At 4 o'clock this morning, God awakened me and told me. And she said, I got up, and I knelt down by the side of my bed. And I said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I watched Mom Smith. I watched her like a hawk. I'd never seen anything like that. And day after day, Mom worshipped God. I didn't see any anger, didn't see any questioning. She never said why. That was her baby. Bill was her baby. He was born five years after Paul, and he was special. Was darling. Grew up to be six foot four. All the girls loved him. He didn't get married. Mom moved away from the house. You might think, oh well, she was just one of those super strong saints. I can, you know, that kind of woman. No, she wasn't. Mom moved away from the house she was living in. One day, about two months after their death, I was standing with her, and I said, do you miss the other house, Mom? She said, no, honey, I don't. She said, every time I walked in the kitchen, I could see Bill leaning against the kitchen cupboards talking to me. She said, I'm glad I'm not there. She grieved. She sorrowed. It hurt. But she worshiped God. Can you do that? If that happened to you today... Would you be able to kneel down by the side of your bed and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of us in the smallest trials can't do that. We rant and we rave and we carry on. I want you to learn to worship Him. Mom was such an example. And look at the product of her life of worship. Generations We'll rise up and call her blessed. It's true. She walked in worship. Shall we bow our hearts before the Lord? There's so much we need to know about you, Lord. And I know this morning a desire has been born anew in our lives to worship you, to really worship you, to tell you how much we love you, Father, I think there are many women in this room this morning, if Jesus were here, that would go and they would weep at his feet and they'd wash his feet with their tears because the love is so great in their heart. Thank you for that love that really came from you to begin with. Thank you for those who have been forgiven so much and they recognize that they've been forgiven so much and therefore they love you so much. They want the rest of their life to be a life of worship and pleasing you. Thank you for drawing us together today. I hold every woman in this room before you and commit her unto you as a father who keeps his children safely in his arms. Guide their paths, guide their feet. Keep them in the love of Jesus. Keep them from the evil world, I pray. Be with them. Lord, please don't let this, that they've learned this morning, ever slip from their minds. But please, Lord, would you, for me, cause them to want to really study about worship? I thank you, Lord, for doing that. And I give you praise because you're worthy of our praise. Amen.